Ah, good morning, church. Oh, my gosh. It's so beautiful outside this morning, isn't it here in La Quinta, California? 40-some percent humidity and beautiful 90 degrees. It doesn't get a whole lot better. You know, God just put on my heart this. Sometimes we forget that the kingdom of God is right. It's actually in our midst. You know, there's nothing in life that is able to reach to the core of our soul to our humanity to be able to root out that which is so destructive, okay, to us individually than the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. You know, how those we interact with responds sometimes can be challenging as the Lord works in our lives as we begin, begin to change. It's difficult for those who are close to us to imagine that we could actually mature and actually maybe become something else that they remember us from the past. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to have you turn to Mark. Jesus struggled with this. This is Mark 6. I don't read it to you, and of course it'll be up on the screen. But it says, Jesus went out from there, came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And, many, and the many listeners just were astonished, saying, Boy, where did this man learn these things? And, and what is all this wisdom that's been given to him? And such miracles that he has performed by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brothers of James and Hoseas and Judas and Simon? And aren't his sisters, aren't they like not here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not dishonored except in his hometown and among his own relatives in his own household. He could not, this is amazing, he could not do any miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was just amazed at their unbelief. So you got Jesus, right? He returns to his hometown to preach with, with the wisdom and authority that it amazed so many people in the town of Galilee. But Nazareth's amazement, I got to tell you, it soon fades into bitterness is because they start to judge, They're judging Jesus. They go, isn't he the carpenter? <laughs> I mean, aren't his siblings and his mom, I mean, aren't they here with us? You know, what are these miracles that we've been hearing so much about? They're judging him based on family ties rather than the obvious gifts and behavior. Surely, I, I, I am positive of this, okay, as they're jumping on Jesus here, judging. I'm sure many of the townspeople were recalling, wait a minute, isn't this the kid that used to play with my son? Right? Right? Can you see it? Wait a minute. Isn't this the kid at 12 years old that left his family at Passover and they had to go back and get him back in Jerusalem? I mean, we're talking about the same person here, right? The people people dismissed the good news not on its merit and because of its obvious power, but because in their jealousy and their pride, they refused to accept the source of where the message was coming from, just based on their perceptions. So here's Jesus. He returns to town where he grew up in. Okay, granted, he worked as a carpenter. He took orders from clients, right? Uh, He attended the synagogue to learn. Now he returns to the same synagogue, teaches with unmatched authority, and yet he's rejected. It's often difficult for people to accept that a person can change dramatically from whom they once were. How about in your personal life? How about if you went going back to your class reunion? 
Are you really the same person that graduated from school today? When you walked into that can I tell you, when you walked into that reunion, people that hadn't seen you in years, they immediately stereotyped you right back to high school because that's the frame of reference. If you were a jerk in school, well, you're probably still a jerk to them. If you mistreated a girl that you dated, she's probably still holding that against you. If you got drunk with a bunch of buddies, you know, did some really stupid things, what do you think the first thing they're going to start talking about? That's right. So here, so here you are. You sit down. You're at the dinner, at the reunion dinner table, and you start sharing about your life now, how things have changed, how God has changed you. And you're going to hear comments like, no way. You? No way. I don't believe you. I actually, in my personal life, had a good friend of mine when I told him about it, my life had changed and he actually fell off the chair in my kitchen and started laughing so hard. He was kicking his hands and feet just like, I mean, he, he couldn't believe it. But, you know, most people, not all, go back to the reunion to show how much better they look than their buddies, how much more successful You go back to brag about your accomplishments. No one goes back to brag about your failures, right? Well, years ago, remember there was an Enterprise car commercial? And it had the guy rented a Cadillac, you know, to go back to his class reunion so he looked like a success. Now, I'm sure you all have had some successes since high school, as I look around this room. And you're certainly not the same person physically anymore, are you? What you have become or not become in the world's eyes is really of no great value unless you've really dealt with those dark areas of our soul. Are you the same old person or are you new and approved? You know, because today it seems like everything, everything, everywhere you go, whether it's TV, billboards, everything's new and approved. Everything. We have new and approved shampoo, new and approved frozen dinners, new and approved hair colorings, new and approved medicines and automobiles, and it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Everything's new and approved. Manufacturers are constantly competing with each other to produce products that they can turn around and describe as new and approved. And do you know why? Because we like new things, right? We like improved and better things. Now, my next statement is important for you to grasp. Because those of you who are Christ followers, follow Jesus Christ, I want you to understand you are new and approved. We need to try to comprehend who we are in the family of God. That old you is becoming new and improved in Christ. We're new and approved. Matter of fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. Do you know what makes you different as a Christ follower from anyone else in the world? Do you know? I have heard Christians say they are different from their non-Christians friends because, well, they belong to a church. I had a woman tell me that she's different because she knows, well, she's been forgiven forgiven of all their sins, and she's going to go to heaven. Another Christian told me he's different because of what he believes. He believes the Bible is the word of God, Jesus was the son of God, and he died for our sins. Others have suggested that what makes them different as Christians is the way that they live. Now, 
these aren't wrong answers. They contain elements of truth, but they're not the whole picture. And this is why I want you to grasp this morning. They overlook the most important truth. <laughs> it's the one that God wants to make sure that we understand as a family here, as he refocuses us for his plan for us and for the rest of our lives. Don't miss this. What makes Christians different from everyone else is that God himself lives within inside each and every one of us through the Holy Spirit. Look, there's no other belief system on the planet that has a spirit that lives within them, that helps guide, direct, weed out the stuff that's destructive to us. No other. When we come to Christ and we give our lives to him, he takes up residence in us. When you became a Christ follower, you became part of the kingdom of God. You are now, think about this, you're citizens of heaven. Isn't it nice to know that you're not stuck here all forever? You're citizens of heaven. The Apostle Paul said, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. No, he said, what Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. And this is what he said in Luke 17. So he was questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming. And he answered them and he said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs that can be observed. Nor will they say, oh, look. There it is, or, oh, no, no, there it is, it's over there. No, 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 no. He said, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. What? The kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God has already arrived. It's not like an earthly kingdom where it's got geographical boundaries. Instead, it begins with the work of God's spirit in our lives and in our relationships. Part of the kingdom is right in here. It's in your midst. Look at Another, don't miss this. We must, I got to tell you, this is so important. We must resist looking to institutions or programs for evidence of the progress of God's kingdom. Instead, we should look for what God is doing in people's hearts. Friends, believe me when I tell you this. It's possible to attend church, be baptized, attend a life group, and still not be part of the family of God. Don't miss this. Being in church doesn't make you any more a Christian than being in McDonald's makes you a chicken McNugget. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. The transformation of your being, your eternal soul, begins when you let the work of God's Spirit work through you in the lives of others. Let me say that again. I should have made that another don't miss this. The transformation of your personal soul begins when you let the Holy Spirit work through you and the lives of others, just like we heard this morning on this stage. Which leads me to the second understanding I believe that God so desperately really wants us to grasp, and that is what is the gospel really all about? What's it really all about? Do we comprehend what Jesus was telling us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Do we really grasp it? If we're to live this victorious life that Jesus talks about, if we're exposed to reach our full potential, we need to understand at the core, what is the gospel all about? Friends, I'm not going to tell you, I believe millions and millions of Christians in our day have substituted another gospel. In thousands of churches, the gospel that is presented is that Jesus Christ came for my personal salvation. 
And once I accept that gracious gift for me, that's it. I'm done, baby. That's all that's to it. I'm part of the kingdom of God. I don't have to do anything else. I just put life on cruise control. And when I die, Jesus got my back, man. I'm going to heaven. I've heard a preacher actually say, let's just get them to accept Jesus. Let's just get them into heaven. You might think, well, what's wrong with that? I'll tell you what. That kind of approach, in, in, in my opinion, has shortchanged the message of Jesus Christ, and it has robbed people of what Jesus Christ actually really, truly came for. It's because of that type of teaching that the church in America just tends to be gatherings of self-interested people who gather for mutual self-interest, constantly treating the church as a vendor of religious goods and services, constantly shopping and trading up churches. Find the place that just meets my needs. Friends, Jesus' ultimate aim was not just for my personal salvation. That's, it, it's not just about me getting into heaven. No. It's about all of us getting into heaven. We got a mission to the world. Look, what did Jesus say? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but they'll have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to judge it, but so that the world might be saved through it. Do you understand? Jesus came for the world, and he created the church as a community so that we would join him in this mission to save the world. It isn't just about me. It's about the world. Friends, God wants us to stop and revisit who we are as individuals, who we are as a church, and what's our purpose. What are we doing? I'm thinking he's focused on us back on Christianity 101 by first refocusing our understanding of what makes Christians different from everyone else, which I just shared with you that God himself lives right here inside of my think about that. Do you realize that affords us all the blessings, all the supernatural powers that are needed to live an unbelievable life? Second, refocusing our thoughts that Jesus came from the world and he created the church as a community that joins him in this mission. I mean, think about it. Right here this morning, La Quinta, California, those sitting right here inside the theater, all of you listening on YouTube, live stream, and, and weeks from now, think about this. Wherever you are, you're part of the kingdom of God. Jesus says, you are my ambassadors. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Just be who I created you to be. You and I can leave a legacy that will last for an eternity. An eternity. Yeah, you can go leave your kids a house or some of your 401 when you're gone, but it's not going to go eternity. They'll probably spend it <laughs> the first five years. But we're talking about something that's eternity. And thirdly, I strongly believe God wants us to refocus our thoughts on redefining what he meant the church to be. What is the church really supposed to be? You know, I brought this question up in a conversation I had a couple weeks ago walking around my neighborhood. I said, if Jesus was walking around today, would he even recognize the church? Right now, if Jesus walked in, walking around, and he, would he recognize the church? Would he say, that's exactly what I wanted it to be? That's exactly right. Or would he be like, 
he was in the temple with the money changers. You remember the story, right? I'll read it to you. John 2. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And within the temple grounds, he found those who were selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and money changers seated at their table. He made a whip of cords. He drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers. He overturned the tables to those who were selling the doves, and he said, take these things away from here. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. It's not about the building. It's about the mission. It's not about me. It's about the mission. The merchants were interfering and frustrating people's attempt at worshiping God. I hope you hear what Jesus was saying. People traveled from all over to worship, but the ways of man got in their way. And boy, did it anger. It angered Jesus. Friends, any practice that interferes with worshiping, that any practice that interferes with worshiping God that pushes people away should be stopped. God's temple was being misused by people who had turned it into a marketplace. You know, and I, I think Jesus would be angry with some of the Christian community today. I believe he'd be turning over some tables right now in some of our churches just to get our attention, telling us, see, it's not about the show. Can't you see him? Hey, 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 it's not about the show. It's not about if the worship music's too loud or it doesn't move you. No, 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 no. Hey, it's not about if there's enough adult or children's programs for you. No, no, no. It's not about whether the building is big enough or nice enough or closer to your home. No, 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 no. Jesus goes, hey, it's not about that. I think Jesus would be, I think Jesus would be saying, that's not what I die for. <laughs> that's not the message I gave. I didn't come to be mocked, beaten, persecuted, crucified because I had nothing else to do. You were lost. You were misguided. You were lied to by the world. I love you so much that I came to save what was lost so that you may know the joy and have abundant life. Jesus would say, my father's house is a place where you come together in community. You come here in community to worship with, with sincere, authentic concern for the others that are around you. Let me say that again. The purpose of us coming together, the ultimate purpose, is as a community to worship God. You worship God not just in, in music. You worship God in, and by your actions with sincere, authentic concern for those people that are around you. Friends, it's easy to be drawn to churches because of programs. Man, good speaker size, beautiful facility. I think you all know this. It's not working. There's thousands of people leaving the church every week. Every week. You know what makes Christianity attractive? The same thing that made it attractive 2,000 years ago. People were attracted to the early church by seeing God's power at work. The generosity, the sincerity, honesty, and the unity of its members and the character of its leaders. That's why it blossomed and bloomed. God wants to continue to add believers to his church, not just newer and better programs or larger and fancier facilities. You know, a building is only as good as its foundation. 
Two ways for sure to destroy a building are to tamper with the foundation and build it with inferior product. We saw that happen in Florida with the condo complex. The church must be built on Christ, on Jesus Christ. Not any person, not any other principle. Which brings me to my fourth understanding that we are, we, that call ourselves believers, are living stones in God's church. There are three elements key elements in God's church. Who's the church? We are. So we need a foundation. We need a cornerstone. And we need building stones. You don't put up the walls until the foundation is laid. For 2,000 years, God has built the church on the foundation that was laid out by the first century apostles. Once that foundation was laid, it was time for the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the major structural part of a building in ancient times. It had to be laid out. It had to be out perfect. And it had to be strong enough to support the whole weight of the building. Everything depended on it. The cornerstone, are you ready for this? The cornerstone of the Jerusalem temple was 29 feet long. It was the size of a railroad boxcar. The cornerstone was the support it, it, it oriented, it was the unifier of the entire building. That is why Jesus Christ is to God's kingdom, God's family, and God's building. He is the cornerstone, the major structural component. As the cornerstone of the church, Jesus supports us all. Get it? He holds us together. He determines our symmetry, our shape, our style. So we have a foundation. Then we got the cornerstone as the structural components to prepare for the final part, the stones, the bricks that finish the building. And this metaphor that I'm using, we are the building stones. We're living stones. The building stones of the church are believers everywhere. Listen to what's said in 1 Peter. And coming to him as to a living stone, which had been rejected by people, but in choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If Jesus is the cornerstone and the teachings of the apostle is the foundation, then we believers are the living stones of the building. Jesus took us as dead stones and he gave us life. And now he shapes us and, he, and fits us together as living stones into the church. That phrase, fitted together, comes from a Greek term that suggests that every stone is set in place perfectly. That means nothing is misplaced, misshapen, or imperfect. Together as a church, we're the dwelling place of God. Though we may call this building we're in today a church, could call it God's house, but the reality is it's just concrete, wood, and plaster. That's all it is. The real church is you, the people. We are the church. We are God's house wherever we meet. Whether we continue to meet here at a movie theater or we meet at Mike's Magic Theater down the street here, it doesn't matter where we meet. Do you understand that? We're we're, we're it. We're God's house. Have you ever seen a brick 
or stone building and where some of the stones or bricks have fallen off, you know, and there's a hole there where there used to be a brick or a stone. Have you noticed that sometimes as we do life, our mortar kind of comes loose and crumbles sometimes and we could f- come off the wall? You know, we could, we could fall away from the church or from God. And, and when, what it does is when any of us or part of the family fall off, well, there's a hole now. There's a hole in that wall. The one place that we all need to be is on that wall, surrounded by others, by the other stones to help support us, to help us to be fulfilled, to carry out our true purpose. But you know, there are times where we choose to be unattached. But what's so wonderful about God is that he can reach into our lives. Oh, you got to just love all God, right? He can reach in our lives and place us right back into that hole in the wall, right where you're supposed to be where he can go right back in and fill that emptiness in our life and put you right where you're supposed to be. You see, friends, the building's not complete yet. God's still adding stones, and it won't be complete until everyone who's going to accept him does. You see, every stone that you and I are valuable, and you all serve such an important purpose. Look at some of our stones, yeah, we're chipped and cracked. Okay, we got our stuff. We might have some pieces missing. But Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't care where you've been. I only care where you're going. Come be a part of a community, the family of God. You've got purpose. You've got a destiny to fill the hole in the wall. As we started with, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So in close, remember, you are new and improved. God himself lives within you by his Holy Spirit, affording you blessings and supernatural powers to live an unbelievable life. He created the church, church at the red door as a community, where we get to be as ambassadors, whether it's through Kaleo Bay or the uh, Coachella Valley Rescue Mission or reaching out to your neighbor next door whose spouse has just passed away. We're ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven that joins him in his mission of saving the world. Wow. We are living stones in God's church. Jesus took, I was a dead stone, man. We were dead stones. He gave us life. And now he shapes each of us. He's shaping us to fit us right into that wall as living stones. Every stone has value. Every one of us has value and purpose. And lastly, remember, we're eternal beings. You're going to live forever. You're eternal beings. And you're equipped with supernatural gifts and abilities. But all you have to do, you got to initiate them. To ignite them is to humble yourself. Look, this is not easy, especially in the Church of America. To ignite these supernatural gifts in us, you've got to humble yourself. You've got to set aside our agendas and allow God to pick us up and place us on the wall of the church. This is where I need you. This is where I will reward you with purpose and fulfillment, prosperity and joy. This is where you will become new and approved.
kingdom of God is in your midst. So, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the tremendous gift that you give all those who call upon you, the gift of the Holy Spirit to live inside each and every one of us to help guide and direct Father, as these weeks unwind and as we pray through the direction that you want this church to go, Father, uh, help, us, help us to be open to, your, to the movement of your Spirit within us. Show us where we need to initiate. Show us where that spot is on the wall that you just say, I need you to step up. You're fitted. Can't you see? You're fitted. That, that hole's designed just for you. Lord, give us the strength to step forward and let your supernatural gifts and powers work within each and every one of us. And all of God's people said, amen. So please stand as they take us out in the final song. Thank you.